Welcome back to Lead with Empathy. I am your host, Holly Logan, and today we are going to talk about all things related to childhood, nutrition, picky eating, all of my thoughts, tips, strategies that I have professionally shared and personally shared tips that I, things that I use in my home or things that I've done in my home to kind of mitigate picky eating or fix picky eating, all of the things. Um, As a reminder, none of this is ever medical advice. And if you have specific concerns or needs for your child or yourself, you do need to reach out to your trusted healthcare provider. This is meant to be educational and supportive. I'm also not a dietitian or a nutritionist, okay? So it's really funny thinking about as I was creating this of what I wanted to say, I had to reflect back on as both a nurse and a nurse practitioner what we get for education. And to be honest, it's not as in-depth as it probably should be because now with everything that I've learned outside of school, now they can't teach us everything. They can't give us every tool, everything all the time. But I do feel like there should have been a greater uh, focus on nutrition when I was in school. Uh, Particularly, it's funny because thinking back when they would say low sodium, low cholesterol, low sugar, and then you'd go into a hospital setting. And what did these people who were very sick have on their plate? It was all really unhealthy food. But outside of that, um, I just feel like I wish I had a greater, no, greater knowledge of nutrition in my practices, especially where I had, I did have a high focus on it. But it is, um, I've been asked before, you know, why did you go into pediatrics and you're a family nurse practitioner? I went into family because I have always understood that it's the family unit that impacts how a child eats. So I can talk to a parent until they're blue in the face about what their child should be eating or what I'd recommend they eat, etc. But if the family is not on board, it's not going to make a difference. So a lot of what you'll hear me say or talk about today is family culture and family um, dynamics and how family eating and the structure of eating is so important to developing good eating behaviors with a child. That cannot be underestimated. Um, And a lot of what I do with my family and my kids is because of I want that structure and I feel like it has been an effective tool for us. Also hear me a couple of things. I am overcoming a lot of my own four-year-old, like I have the I I used to tell people I'm recovering from having the taste buds of a four-year-old, okay? I am not the girl who is having like a nice kale salad with pumpkin seeds and cranberry with a balsamic for lunch. I don't, that's not something I enjoy. Now, I will say I've gotten so much better. Do I enjoy things like that on occasion? Yes. But what I mean to say is I am not this picturesque, perfect diet person who has always been this way. I am recovering from a lot of my own poor habits and taste buds and overcoming challenges like I never used to eat things like mushrooms and now I love them. And I had this preconceived notion about certain foods like I would never eat that. I would never eat kimchi. That sounds gross. I would never do apple cider vinegar, etc. And I have overcoming in my own challenges. And now I feel like some of those habits I have to break with my own kids. So a lot of this, I want you to hear that 
I don't want you to feel shame if you have done these things that I am talking about and now you're feeling, I, I just don't want you to feel that shame and feel like you can't move forward from what you're doing. Because first, the first step is always recognizing those little things that you can improve on. That's step one. And step two is taking action in them. And if you hold too much shame for what you've done, you won't make those steps forward and you'll say, screw it. Why bother, etc. And I know that because I've seen it. Um, I have that feeling sometimes in my own brain of like, my goodness, like this is just so frustrating. But you have to first acknowledge the behavior and the things that you can change and then taking action every day. And it's not a lot of these things that I'm going to talk about aren't necessarily overnight and have not been overnight for myself. The reason that I'm so passionate about this is I saw in my practice, and obviously now statistically, I don't really want to go too much into the science today, but I saw kids, especially even during the pandemic, who would come, we have wouldn't see them for a year, and they had gained about 25 pounds. And from being home, being sedentary, and there are so many factors, and I understand that. There's education, socioeconomic status, so many factors. But I still remember, and you've heard me say this in other podcasts, what it feels like to not feel good in my body, self-esteem, my stomach not feeling good. And when we don't have a good diet, we don't exercise, we don't move, or we're not fueling our bodies properly, it impacts our mood. And then I would see things like anxiety, depression, it's all related. And I, I saw it. I lived it with my patients. And I also really struggled. So the way I used to practice, where I used to practice, there wasn't a lot of consistency of who you saw for a provider. So sometimes I would see a child at one year old, most of the patients I saw, honestly, my specialty was under two. Um, And I would see a child at one year old for the first time and they would still be on pouches and the parents would talk about like they are only doing pouches and they only eat goldfish and chicken nuggets. And it was like, okay, how much can I cram into a well visit? Because this is a big topic. I've never, you know, if I didn't meet this kid, I usually have things I talk about at each specific visit. But how can I help this family in 20 minutes and still do my exam and do all of the other things? I do want to acknowledge too that if you have a child or it is my rec- it would be my recommendation or if my own child had issues where they were only eating several foods or they could only have purees etc they need further evaluation they need to be ensure that they don't have feeding issues like a tongue tie i have i would never shame anyone for seeing a therapist no matter the age i'm sorry i am pro early intervention and there's so much that can be helped. Like I, I, we are, my kids see a speech pathologist. She's an oral facial myologist and also does feeding therapy. It's amazing. Now I have heard in my community of some other people seeing therapists who don't have the same uh, education and passion as she does. So you kind of, this is where mom groups on Facebook can actually become helpful because you can say, Hey, did, does anyone have a speech or a feeding therapist that they really enjoy, that's really knowledgeable, et cetera. And sometimes you get from word of mouth um, on social media, that's where you're going to find the best person. But I do think it's important. Um, Evaluations also, if your child, like maybe it's a sensory issue, uh, that's really important. Is it from constipation? A lot of kids that have picky eating habits, it's because their stomachs maybe don't feel good and because they're constipated. And if your child's only going every three days or their poop is really formed, 
it's going to be hard for them to want to try other things if they have a stomach ache. And so sometimes I would address the constipation first and then deal with a lot of the feeding things. Now, they do go hand in hand. Obviously, constipation can be caused by poor dietary choices, but I would try to address that a little bit more and incorporating other things like berries that have high um, water content, high antioxidants, high fiber, et cetera, to help with the constipation. But that's something that I would attack with a healthcare provider before really trying to do an overhaul with their diet. Because if you're battling pain and discomfort, that just adds a whole other level. There are a lot of really good resources too out there in terms of well, I don't know what I should be looking for. I don't know if my child is eating appropriately. I don't know at a six months old what I should be doing. There are some really good social media accounts out there. There's uh, Solid Starts. There's Feeding Littles. Those show you a lot of good uh, videos on kids and gagging and the importance of using tools or using things like strips of large food or even like food on the bone to what we call map a baby's mouth. So what I mean by that is they, they actually use the tools or the food to kind of where their mouth is, where their tongue is, moving it side to side, chewing. It's all, I don't explain it as well as some of these people because that's their passion and their education, but those are some really good accounts. There's also, um, oh my goodness, I can't remember exactly if it's what her last name is, but her name is Melanie. Um, I can link her on social media as well, but she has a great account also on different spoons and different cups and all of the, I know she actually, my kid's oral functional oral facial myologist uses her for education. So she is wonderful to follow as well. So there are a bunch of resources on like, if you have a six month old and you're trying to learn how to feed your child, then those are good resources. But today I wanted to also go over picky, like how I've overcome some of the picky eating challenges with my kids, things I may have done differently as they were when they were children or when they, they are children, when they were babies and how I would, how I'm doing things moving forward. This is very much like everything I talk about, a marathon, not a sprint. This is not something that necessarily can change completely overnight. Are there things that you can immediately do tonight that will make a difference or and should be changed? Yes. One example that comes to mind is juice. There is no reason that a child needs juice. Have I used it or have, do I keep orange juice sometimes for myself for my adrenal cocktails in the house? Yes. Have my kids had, oh, it's 100% orange juice, no citric acid, no anything else. Have they had that before? Yes. It's watered down. I don't know. It's once every couple of like, I don't know, once a month. It's it's not a lot if they get it, but otherwise there is no reason that a child needs juice. And I remember I had this patient come in I'd never met before. I think I've said this before on the podcast and her child was about 18 months old and she was really worried about her child and kind of rightfully so. He had some really poor dietary habits and he was significantly overweight for his age. And she, we were just chatting about different things she could try. And she mentioned that he had like 16 to 24 ounces of juice in a day. And I was like, well, that's one major thing that you can remove because juice is just really sugar, sugar water. And it, you're better off if he wants a snack. You know, you can have a whole orange or a whole apple and I would prefer that and et cetera. And she's like, well, I just assumed that they needed it because I get um, I, one of the state nutrition programs, she had access to it. And so she was told that she needed essentially to get juice. 
I don't know how much of that is true, but it was really eye-opening to me of like, wow, she is really trying to do her best, but she thought because it's on this list, it's a necessity. And it's not. I would much prefer, again, that a child get a whole piece of fruit rather than juice. And so that is something that you can just stop buying. There's no reason to have it in the house. Um, I know some people, and I've used it before, like professionally um, for apple juice or pear juice or something for constipation, small amounts. But again, that's between you and your healthcare provider. But overall, from a dietary perspective, there is no need to have juice. And that is something that can instantly be done. No more buying and no more giving to children. And I've had parents tell me before, well, my kid will only drink juice and they won't drink water. That is a learned behavior. That is a learned behavior. That is not something that is like a um, medical problem that they only will drink juice. That is a learned behavior. And if they have no other choice but water, then they have no other choice. Will a lot of the things that I'll talk about, you may say, well, like in your head, well, that will induce X, Y, or Z. They will have a tantrum. They won't drink. They won't X, Y, or Z. Yes, you're probably right. For short periods of time, these things will happen, but it doesn't and should not stop you from moving forward. I'll give an example. My kids, I had learned a lot about like peanut butter, actually. We don't do almond butter and things because I have a cashew allergy, but we do. I enjoy peanut butter every once in a while. I don't do nearly as much as I used to, but I used to buy a certain brand of peanut butter and I was learning about the importance of certain foods being organic and actually peanut butter is one of them because they can have high um, rates of mold as well. And it's just important as one of the things that should be organic. And I use a brand, I switched to a different brand that's like an organic uh, peanut butter. And when I first gave it to my kids, there's no other ingredients other than peanuts. And when I first gave it to my kids, I remember my oldest kid being like, this is disgusting. This isn't the peanut butter that I like. And I said, well, this is the peanut butter that we have now. And if this is, you want peanut butter on your toast, this is the option. And at first he gave me the pouty face, you know, and gives me a little bit of sass because it's not the peanut butter that he wants. And I was just, now he was a little older, um, but I was just very clear. This is what we have. And this is our choice. And within like three or four times, he didn't even acknowledge it anymore. So, and now sometimes I've flip-flopped, like if I've had the other peanut butter in the house or whatever, and he doesn't even mention it. So if you have a younger child, say who's two, and they consume this peanut butter and then all of a sudden it's not the peanut butter they want, will it induce a tantrum? If they don't have the juice in the house, will it induce a tantrum? If you stop buying goldfish, will it induce a tantrum? Probably, but that shouldn't stop you from making those choices. It will also, those will dis dissipate over time. It's just the habit or the comfort that the, something that they're used to. And we have to break that habit. I truly believe there are so many things that we can just, again, stop buying. And that will make in itself a huge improvement to our child's health. Especially I know with the cost of food, if there are certain things that we can stop buying to replace with whole foods in our diets, that is going to be optimum for our child's health. Stop buying all of these small, convenient snacks and foods. That leads me to when I had mentioned earlier about family culture and conveniences, etc. So I am just going to be honest and I don't hold judgment. I just want you to understand that what I saw and what I see and how it impacts how I educate and how I do things with my children. We have done pouches in the past Meaning like they've had those, um, there's a, uh, Stonyfield has a yogurt 
that is dairy free. I've liked those sometimes in the summer, like if we're traveling for lunch boxes and things like that. Yes, it has like sugar and I don't think it has that much sugar, but it's usually for things where we're outside a lot, we're moving. I've grabbed those conveniences, those little snacks, packages or whatever for when we travel. But I never did pouches when they were babies. Um, other than when my third was in feeding therapy and I tried these ones that actually have meat in them, but he just wouldn't, he wouldn't take them. Um, but I have never been big on pouches and it's because I saw so many kids in my practice that would be only pouches for the first year of life. And I learned this later, um, and I didn't know this really when I was first practicing. I just knew I didn't like the concept of these constant pouches. But I learned later, and I've read books about this, um, the importance of chewing and the importance to chewing for jaw development. And I have seen, again, all these kids who by one year, parents would come to me and say they have only had... Um, pouches or they can only do purees and they can't do solid foods. They gag, they throw up. Now, obviously these are all things that I would recommend a feeding therapist now or um, some kind of evaluation for a tongue tie based off experience with, with my kids. But overall, some of that may also be because the child never learned how to properly chew because they were always just given pouches. Now, here's the thing. I say this very lightly in terms of the pouches. I get it. They are marketed to us. They are easy. We have crazy busy lives. You're a working parent. You're trying to, you come home or it's first thing in the morning and you're trying to get something into them because they're hungry and you're trying to run out the door. I totally understand and get it. At the same time, we can't use it as a constant excuse to take these shortcuts for our children's health. And again, I say that very lightly, but you have, some people just need to hear it. I don't believe that we should be constantly using these conveniences. I was just having this conversation with my kid's therapist and one of the things or one of the reasons that my kids I think have eat pretty well is not necessarily, they don't eat the perfect diet. I wish they were like, give me some more avocado and kale, please mommy, but that's not my household and we're working on it, but I'm okay with that. But what my kids are very used to is structure. They eat between 7 and 8 a.m., no matter where we are, what we do. They eat usually between 11 and 12, no matter where we are, what we do. They eat between 5 and 6 for dinner, no matter where we are or what we do. That means that, yes, I have to be prepared wherever we go. So if we're going to a pool party, we're going to be gone for the day, we're whatever, I have to think ahead and be prepared because my kids are used to that schedule and it's not about being rigid with that schedule for the sake of control. It's because it works and it's been effective and them being like to eat consistently. I am surrounded by kids everywhere. I see it where they don't eat well or they don't sit for meals and the parents get frustrated. And a lot of it comes down to is the child used to that consistency or lack thereof? So if your child won't sit for a meal, and this is, these are global statements. So I understand if you've done all the things I have and you still have a child that won't uh, eat for a meal. It's not, it's more of a global statement because I do, this is just what I see. It's observations. I don't sit back and judge. I just sit back and observe because this is what I did for a living. It's like a psychologist who probably can't stop analyzing people or a mechanic who can't help but look at your car. I analyze families. It's I just sit back and kind of observe. And what I observe is that 
there are a lot of parents who want to just kind of go about their day. They're at a party and they want to be with their friends and they want to hang out and it's getting close to six o'clock and their child's getting irritable and there's nothing to eat and they don't have a plan for what their kid's going to eat. And then the parent gets upset by the child's behaviors when really probably the child is just hungry, but maybe not voicing it. And then what do we do when that happens? We go for conveniences. We order out food. We get takeout. Or they end up eating a bag of chips. And then the child is even crankier later that night. And we wonder why. And it's all because of these modern conveniences. Versus if these children had more of a consistent structure, they may eat better foods and have the anticipate to have these meals. And that does take a lot of work on my part. Before I go to a birthday party, before I go to a barbecue, before I go places. Now, I'm more used to this, too, because as I've said, I have celiac disease. So if I want to eat, I have to be prepared. But anytime we go anywhere are, yes, does my child do my kids lives revolve kind of around food yes but that's kind of the way it should be we have to be prepared and think ahead for our children to give them not only a good relationship with food but to stabilize their blood sugar and so that way they are happy and comfortable and not irritable and I just I see this all of the time I I'm just speaking from honesty that I see this and I want to you to think about it. Are you going to these places and having no plan of like what time dinner is going to be? What are you going to have for dinner for your kids? Are you just going to grab whatever th- from them? And then are they coming home irritable, not sleeping well, or getting sick often or all these things? If you're seeing these patterns, it might be because your focus on food is not enough. And I'm not trying to, again, shame anyone. Sometimes I feel like I sound harsh when I say these words out loud. But please know it's because I feel like I have to be a little harsh sometimes but because of what I see and what I hear. And if a kid is running around and just getting um, cotton candy and sugar and then at the end of the day is cranky after they've had, you know, a, some soda and haven't had a dinner and the parents get frustrated because the kid is not acting the way they think they should because the child is having a blood sugar crash because they haven't been eating – that's where I get really frustrated and, and kind of angry, to be honest, for the child. Um, and so I am not, a, my di- my kid's diet is not always perfect. I'm not an A plus eater or myself or with my kids, but I aim to make those better choices. And I always try to come prepared. And that takes effort. I understand that. It's a lot of effort. It's a lot of thinking ahead ahead, but it's really important, especially if you have a child, you're either trying to prevent picky eating or you're trying to reverse picky eating. You really need to become consistent um, with certain times of this is when we eat, this is when we have snacks. And really, no matter what you're doing, where you go, you stay consistent with that. And I truly believe that structure is important. So you may have heard me say, like I I said before, okay, so my kid only has chicken nuggets and goldfish and pouches. What do I do? They're very picky. They only eat certain things for breakfast and lunch and dinner. What do I do? Well, again, what I would do if I've created those habits is stop buying those things. There is no, unless you have specifically been told by their healthcare provider after having a conversation about your concerns for their eating, 
Um, they have certain sensory things, etc., cetera, uh, like autism, where they only have certain foods and that is their nutrition. And this is what you've been told they have, you have to keep buying. That's a different situation. I am talking a perfectly healthy child who only, um, for breakfast, um, only wants like donuts and, uh, juice. And then for lunch only wants chicken nuggets and goldfish. And then for dinner only wants a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. I've seen it. Um, I, the first thing is again, stopping buying those conveniences and it's hard. Does that mean that if say my kids had those habits, um, and they've had certain habits, not to that degree, but they've had certain habits that I've had to break. Does it again, induce those tantrums? Yes. Um, does it create habits where, or will they refuse to eat? Yes. But what I have found from my personal experience with my kids, it's like the peanut butter scenario is that if I tell my kids, this is what we have, and this is your option if you're hungry, even if they have this big reaction, that reaction becomes less and less over time. And I, as a parent just have to accept that I have to accept it's much like screen time. When, if you're trying to decrease screen time, and they ask for TV and you say no. And I see this all the time on social media, like how or how do I decrease my kids social media or how do I decrease my kids screen time? You literally shut the TV off and you take the batteries out and you say no. Does that induce tantrums? Does that induce behaviors? Absolutely. But it doesn't mean that you can't support your child during those times and very calmly and nicely, even through their screaming, letting them scream and have those emotions and saying, I know you're frustrated that we don't have goldfish, but we're not buying those th- the goldfish because I don't feel like it's best for your body. Instead, I have oranges. I have these other crackers. I have, um, I can make you something. You can make it with me, but we are, that that's not a choice right now. Sometimes there are children that are very stubborn that will like refuse to eat. And I, I understand that. Um, again, that's where a conversation with a healthcare provider comes in. But honestly, I would just hold the line and give other options to my kids. And I have done that. And over time, they accept that and they understand that. The only way that you can change is to change these habits is by starting somewhere and not buying those things is number one. It's not a perfect step ladder where you go from having this like these some of these really kind of poor choices or habits um, and go from that to eating an avocado toast for breakfast. It's not for a lot of kids. It's not an instant and for adults, it's not like an overnight thing. Um, I'll give you another example. So my son, my oldest, um, probably of my kids was like the pickiest eater. And I just was not comfortable with the amount of protein he was getting. He really only liked things like ham and a chicken nugget, but didn't like things like if I would make chicken thighs or chicken drumsticks or steak or anything, even burger, um, probably over a year ago or two years ago, he didn't even eat burger and it was crazy. And I started to make, so I'd make spaghetti and he would only eat the noodles and not the beef. And he would ask for more spaghetti. And I would say, no, because you just picked around the beef and I would like you to try it. And that would induce some behaviors and screaming or whatever, the whining, you know what I'm talking about if you have kids. And I would just hold the line and say, well, this is something that you have on your plate. And if you're still hungry, you need to eat some. And again, this was not an instant overnight, okay, mommy, I'll eat this and I'll have more spaghetti. It took time. And I would say over the period of six plus months, he eventually would start to eat the beef and finish his plate. And it, again, not an overnight thing. But he eventually would, and especially now, like I make meatballs and he eats the whole meatball. He doesn't just eat the pasta. Um, We 
obviously cheeseburgers at home versus fast food things are different, but I started making cheeseburgers for the kids a while back and it wasn't the same as like on a nice fluffy bun because I just use a gluten-free bread that's available and it took some diff- it took some time, but now they eat cheeseburgers and that might sound that, that I make at home and that might sound like, oh, that just happened so quickly. I'm talking literally over a year period maybe. Um, that we went from not having a lot of protein or I felt adequate protein to now having a lot of protein through the ground beef. And for me, that is a huge change, a huge milestone. And I am so happy. And you might be thinking like a year, I don't have a year. Um, this uh, in between there, I can't give you an exact timeline. Okay. But I know that this has been a progressive thing where I've gotten this child to now eat chicken drumsticks and chicken thighs and other proteins that are not processed. And I just committed to saying this is what we're going to do. And I am not going to, I'm going to hold that line. Um, now, I, off of that, I want to mention, I often see on social media or other people say, I'm not going to make more than one meal for my kids. Meaning like if my husband and I or my partner and I are having this, I am not going to make them a separate meal. I would say I don't 100% agree with that because I do make things like when I make spaghetti, my second child um, will not eat spaghetti. He does not enjoy it. I have tried it multiple times. He just doesn't like it. But When I'm making the burger for the spaghetti, if I save some and make him a burger, like for a cheeseburger, he will eat that. And I I just noticed that if over time I was like, you know what, if he doesn't really enjoy this spaghetti at all, doesn't seem to like red sauce, it takes me an extra, what, three minutes to instead cook that burger on the side where he's still going to get protein from the burger and it takes me an extra step. I don't think that's a big deal. When I make, um, one of my kids likes teriyaki broccoli, loves it, the youngest one. If I know the older kids don't like it, so I chop up all this broccoli, I cook some of it one way, the other I steam. Not a huge deal for me. When I make chicken curry, or curry chicken, or something for me and my husband, and my third like it, and he likes the bone broth and stuff, the other kids don't really enjoy it. So before I season everything, I take out some of the cooked chicken for the other kids and don't cook it with the spices. It's So they do technically kind of get a different meal, but it really hasn't taken me that much extra effort, I would say. I just think it's really important to note that if you're feeling like, you're hearing or you're seeing like, don't make your kid a separate meal if you're trying to reverse picky eating. There is a degree to of that that I agree with. But at the same time, to make these drastic jumps for some kids is not going to be an effective method from what I've found. So I also like I know that one of my kids doesn't like roasted cooked vegetables and I wasn't I'm not gonna I offer them to him or I give him little pieces of stuff but I am not gonna say you know roasted vegetable vegetables or nothing I he prefers raw vegetables so I will give him cucumbers and carrots and he does like the cooked mixed veggies but he doesn't really like the raw or the the roasted vegetables and some people will say tough luck that's what you need to do to ensure that they eat vegetables, whatever. I hear that. And if that's the route you want to go and you want to really hold that line, go for it. But from my experience with my kids, if I instead give them the choices for things that they actually do enjoy that are still a good choice, I don't mind giving those other options. Going off of that too, when it comes to options, um, when I think about my kids, like when I make them lunch, for example, 
and we talk about like every who what kid doesn't like a chicken nugget um there's i'm sure and i know that there are people within the holistic wellness community etc well they'll say their kid has never had a chicken nugget good for them um i use applegate chicken nugget brand they're gluten-free for my kids and you know what we don't have them every day but we do have them probably once at least once a week and i don't think my focus sometimes is as much on that chicken nugget being the the bad thing or the scary thing or the bad food i think what we need to focus on as society is what we serve with that so when i make my kids something like pizza anything processed i'll say like pizza and chicken nuggets or whatever. They know, and it's actually funny because we've been to restaurants where if they get pizza, they'll ask for other things. Because when I serve them foods like pizza or whatever, I always give them something else on their plate that even if we have chips, because I mean, I I like pizza and chips. I don't know about you, but it's like, uh, I don't know. I I enjoy that combination. Um, If they get a little pizza and little chips, they also get other things with it like cucumbers and fruit. And I have said this in another podcast, I think the relationship with food one, but I don't want my kids to fear and say like, we don't eat chicken nuggets and pizza and chips because those foods are bad for you. Like I would never want them to feel that way or say that to another person. I instead use the language when my kids say like, well, why can't I have that? Why can't I have that candy or whatever? I choose to use the language of you know what, I know that's not going to make your bodies feel good. And I know it's not going to make your belly feel good, but I have this other option for you. And I have had no trouble with that. But I have always said what my goal is with my kids with their eating is if they go to a birthday party, they will have pizza and chips because that's fun, right? But they will also have some cucumber and some fruit and some watermelon and then have a cupcake, but they won't have, they won't show up at a party and just eat four slices of pizza and three cupcakes and chips and Gatorade and all these other things and then have complaints of belly aches. Like I want them to have that balance of um, enjoying birthday parties and food and etc., but also understanding that there are other foods that fuel us. And I, so again, when I serve something to my kids like chicken nuggets or whatever it is, I always give them things that one have like a natural high water content, because I feel like if you're going to have processed sodium in your foods, which is in processed foods, if you serve it with something that has a water content, hopefully it will. I don't really know if this is um, perfectly scientific or I don't have the research behind this, but more like would help your body to flush out that unneeded sodium if they're having a high water content food with it. So I'm not saying it negates it. I'm not saying you could have like a pint of blueberries in a whole pizza and the, the blueberries negate things, but having a slice of pizza with those, like I use um, organic frozen berries usually in the wintertime, I feel more comfortable doing that. And if you looked at a plate of, you know, chicken nuggets, cucumbers, and blueberries versus a plate of uh, Cheetos and pizza and goldfish, which I've seen, or a, a juice, like it's, there is a difference. And I don't want to shame people. That's not my goal here. I just think people don't understand that we as parents and in this society have to start making these choices and these changes so that we our kids have a good relationship with food and also for their health, for longevity of their health. So we're not talking just today or tomorrow for the constipation, for whatever their gut health. We are looking over the next 10, 15, 20, 30 years. And that's the relationship I want my kids 
to have with food and to understand. If we don't set the foundation for that and we don't say, yeah, of course we can have a slice of pizza, but we're also going to have these other things that fuel our bodies and make our bodies feel good and help us go to the bathroom. I have no problem talking to my kids about going poop and they think it's funny because poop is just funny. Um, I will say that to them like, well, blueberries help us and cucumbers help us to poop and we want our bodies to be able to flush things out. And so, yes, you can have that, but we're also going to make some other choices too. And we're going to have some things that are fresh and I can do that. And my kids have absolutely no problems. That does come back to preparation. Um, I have a child that is dairy-free and gluten-free. It's easier for me because I'm also gluten-free. So I kind of have to be prepped again anywhere I go, but he does not give me a hard time if I come prepared. So if we're going to a birthday party, I don't, and and I know a lot of birthday parties where kids will have cupcakes that have food dyes and my kids don't consume food dyes. I will come prepared with cupcakes and I, sometimes my oldest will give me pouty face, but um, when it comes to candy or they, when they go to uh, one of their sporting events, they, their lollipops or sometimes they give out after. I bring my own um, dye-free lollipops wherever we go. I There are some, again, wellness health people who do will say, absolutely no lollipops, good for them. I understand that. My kids don't get one every day. But after they do this event and there are other kids that have the lollipops, I bring my own that don't have dyes and um, some of the artificial stuff in them. And that's the choice that I've made for my family. And I still feel it's a better choice. It's no different when we go to a birthday party and I don't want them to have the food dyes and whatever. I bring um, pre-made or cupcakes that I can actually pick up at the store. They're not perfect, meaning that they do have some other ingredients maybe that aren't considered optimum, like some of these seed oils or whatever, but they are still, they still don't have dyes. And that's kind of, I do hold the uh, strong line with that, but it just takes an extra little thought or preparation to bring those things when we go to parties. So if I know that for my son who's dairy-free, there's going to be pizza, I just plan to either pre-make a pizza or bring one with us if I know there's going to be a spot to cook it for him. And if you are going to a birthday party and you go, you know, or wherever you're going, that the choices are not going to be the best and you're really trying to reverse things for your kid, you have to think ahead. And that may involve preparing meals that may involve taking extra time before you leave or even the day before to cook a meal and bring it with you to heat up or whatever it is. I, especially if your kid has been struggling with um, only purees, say they're young and you're really trying to reverse some of these things, it's going to take some extra thought and preparation. I have, my youngest is in feeding therapy. He did have a tongue tie release when he was younger, but long story short, I don't think it was enough. And uh, he, his did is still pretty significant. We struggle with solids and it is really frustrating because even now when we go places much like me, he can't, he doesn't really enjoy, he can't eat out really anywhere anyway, but, um, it's hard because he really only is kind of picky. Like he really likes meat. And so it's not like I can make him a sandwich like the other kids to bring with us when we go skiing. I have to, if we have a place we can cook or can't, I have to actually bring like posse loves burger sauce, like meat sauce. So I have to actually like prepare spaghetti and bring it with us. So that way he has something to eat. Um, he likes burger. So again, I might have to prepare that and bring it with us. There's it's, it takes extra and I get it. It's a lot. It's uh, extra work. It means that at a party, you may need to take your child and separate them from the chaos in a quieter space. So that way they can sit and eat. And it's hard. It is a little isolating, but that work that I have done over the years for my kids is worth it, um, for me. And if you're struggling 
with some of these habits or behaviors, that is truly step one, is being prepared. Uh, Two more things I want to mention. One, snacking. Being really mindful of your child's snacking habits can be helpful when it comes to picky eating. Because if you're noticing that your child only wants to snack, a lot of that may be habit. Um, I saw something recently on social media about someone saying that kids shouldn't snack at all. And I think that's a little overkill because there's no way if my kids eat between like we'll say 7, 11, and, and 5, and 6, um, that's a long period of time and there's just no way that my kids would go from like 11 to 6 without having something no matter how much they eat at lunch. Um, and there are, I believe, good choices that kids can have for snacks. Um, but if your kid is just a snacker and sitting all day long, again, that is not, unless they have a medical issue, this is not a medical issue. This is habit and not making them or sitting with them for meals, breakfast, lunch, and dinner. I see this a lot and I have a poor habit of doing this at times and I have to catch myself of like when my kids sit down for breakfast or lunch or dinner, I will take that opportunity to say, do the dishes or clean up. And unfortunately, we know there are also parents who just want to sit on the couch and scroll and um, or watch TV while their kids eat. And so I say that with kindness, but it's it's real. And so if you are noticing that your child is snacking a lot, of a, a lot, one thing I want you to pay attention to is how much you're actually sitting and eating with them. That kind of goes back to the the creating the family culture. We sit together and we eat together. And if you're not hungry in this moment or you don't want to eat, that's okay. Um, but you're not just going to snack all day long. And I get it. If their child is say like 18 months, they're not going to necessarily understand that language. Um, but if they are wanting to snack, not letting them sit on the couch and snack or, um, you know, just giving them little crackers and things, they need to have something with fat and protein. So that way they are getting at least something, even if they didn't sit down at that specific mealtime and eat, not just mindless snacking in front of a television. I If my kids have watched a show and they tell me they're hungry, I do not let them watch, continue their TV show and have a snack because I've experimented with it before just to see because it's funny to me. And sure enough, like they don't even remember that they've had that snack because they were just mindless eating in front of the television. And it's a real thing. So if you have a kid that just wants to snack all day long, sitting with them, maybe having a snack yourself or a small meal or whatever it is, but actually taking the time to sit with them or meals and when they want a snack. So that way they understand snacking is not like you're not just going to walk around and have whatever you want, wherever you want. That's not how meals, um, that's not how eating works. And that is hard. I get it. But um, I know we have, we are busy people. We have things to do, but it is an important step to creating that habit of like these are specific times that we eat. And outside of that, if you're going to have something, you need to sit. Also, um, not good for our teeth to constantly snack all day long. I think any dental professional will echo that for me, but it is not okay to just snack all day long. It's not good for our teeth. Um, one good thing, one thing that I have found with my kids, because they definitely want snacks throughout the day, is I started to buy chomps meat sticks or I can't remember off the top of my head but I get off Amazon they're chicken meat sticks and I ask them to have a meat stick before they have like an orange or an apple or something like that or banana because they do like their kids they like fruit um but 
they don't like some of the high protein snacks like the like hard boiled eggs yet. We don't do dairy, so it's kind of hard to do things like yogurt in our house. And I found that to be really helpful because sometimes what they'll say is, "Mom, I'm hungry," and I'll say, "Okay." Um, and they'll say, oh, can I have a, um, an apple or banana or one of these bars that we um, use uh, for snacks? And I say, you count after you have a meat stick. And sometimes they give me sass about it. Not always, but sometimes they do. And I tell them, well, that is something that has protein in it. And I want you to have that if you are hungry. Um, they do like them. It's just sometimes they have something else in their mind that they want. And I'll just say, if you're hungry, you will have this first. And then when you are, um, after you're done that, you can have a piece of fruit. And sometimes they get the little, you know, faces or whatever. But overall, it's a pretty effective way to get some protein into them so that they're not just constantly snacking. And I have seen an improvement with that. All right. That was a lot. Um, I feel I tried to do my best to not be scripted, but also not too scattered. So I hope that was helpful. Um, the last thing I want to say is I want to talk about cost and eating and foods because I recognize I am in a different position than a lot of people. I recognize that. I don't know how else to say it other than I do realize that the cost of food, especially right now, is just insane. Um, it's crazy. And for some families, sometimes my husband and I just sit when our kids are chowing and we're like, you know what? I don't know how some families are doing it. Um, and it, it's hard. Um, I, I grapple a lot with how to give this education and also just not sound like a food snob. Um, however, I will say, um, I remember one time I was in the grocery store and I was behind someone who paid with their food stamps. Um, and I hold no judgment. I'm just talking, um, and they bought two boxes of fried shrimp and it was like each box was like $12. So it would have been $24 for two boxes of fried shrimp. And I did the math one day and figured out that I could make a almost over double batch of the spaghetti I use, which is like, um, it's, it's gluten-free, uh, from Jovial and over I think it was like at least two or three boxes of spaghetti with two or three packets of organic grass-fed beef and organic marinara for the same cost. And that which would likely last more meals. Actually, I know in my family and over, I just made it this week, a double batch will last not just dinner, but it will last like several meals for lunch and dinner for the kids after. And I have no shame in using the same food for my kids for multiple meals. I don't care. Um, versus if I got them, they won't eat fried shrimp, but I'm sure for what was in those packages, you know, if it was chicken nuggets, my kids would eat that package and it would probably only last one or two meals for the family. So a lot of this is, again, education. Um, I'm not judging that person. They probably don't have, um, they maybe don't have the education. Maybe they don't care. I don't know. I'm making a lot of judgments like, or preconceived notions, I guess. I'm not judging. But I think there's also a lack of understanding and education around cost and how we can use what we have to make better choices. And 
Um, I also on my social media and future podcasts, you know, when I talk about organic things, I realize that organic foods are more expensive and therefore I don't buy absolutely everything organic. There's a great list out there called the Dirty Dozen that if you're going to buy certain things, it is best to buy organic. I know berries and apples are on that list because of the high use of pesticides, but things like um, potatoes and stuff. Um, you, it's up, updated. So always kind of look and see what's updated on the list. But I know things like potatoes um, and certain fruits are not on that list. And so those are things you don't necessarily need to buy organic unless you can afford it. And also when it comes to like meat and um, eggs, it's not an all or nothing. I don't look at it like, oh, this week maybe I'll choose to buy the organic eggs and this week I can't. And therefore my kid is you know, I'm a failure as a parent or their health's going to be poor. I don't remember. I don't believe in that either. So please don't feel it's an all or nothing, meaning like this week my kids are going to get organic berries and next week they aren't. Um, you were thinking about it. You were making the options and the choices and you're doing the best you can. And I, I truly believe that. And so I, please don't feel I try my best when I do these things because I never want anyone to feel shame Um or overwhelm from what they are serving their kids and aiming to give them all organic, etc. Because I do all the grocery shopping and all the budgeting, and I try my best to save money and decrease our consumption, but it is hard. Uh, it's very hard. I'll say this till my face turns blue. It is also less about what we buy versus more of like what we stop buying. And we need to stop buying the things that are high sugar and convenient things that we think are cheaper. But a lot of these pouches are not cheaper when you look at buying um, whole food things instead. Um, we need to stop buying the sugary cereals and dealing with the tantrums instead of providing the sugary uh, cereal. And we need to keep trying to give our kids meat and vegetables, even if small pieces, even if it means that they maybe won't eat much that meal can stop buying juices and we can replace it with whole fruit. We can stop buying chips and soda and all these extra novelties unless of course it's a birthday party and you're celebrating something and this week that's your choice or you're cooking or baking cookies this week or whatever it is. I love to bake. I haven't taken those things fully. Again, I mentioned I, I like chips too with a good old pizza, but it's not something that we consume every day. And so if we can stop and recognize all of these extra costs or all these things that we're feeding our kids that we could replace with some better choices, we need to sit down. And actually, a lot of these, um, uh, I know my local grocery store actually has a program where you can meet with a dietitian or nutritionist, and they will walk you around the store and help you identify things that you can replace with what you have maybe for services or food stamps or even just anyone who's just wanting to improve their diet. Um, and where how far their money can go. Um, so to end, again, I hope that was helpful. Again, I'm not a dietitian or a nutritionist. It is just something that I feel passionate about that we can start to make these choices in our kids' lives. I am not perfect. I don't pretend to be. Um, but that does not mean that just because you can't make 100% changes today, that that should hold you back from making at least some degree of change for your kid's health and your health um, tomorrow. Because a lot of this, when I say stop buying the chips and stop buying the soda and stop buying the cereal, 
that's a family thing. And if your child is, if you're consuming it and you stop buying it, your child will stop consuming it too. And I forgot to kind of talk about that too, but it's so important to, as a parent, if you don't eat vegetables and you don't eat good meat and you don't eat this and you don't eat that, you can't expect your child to emulate the same behaviors if you don't also look at what you eat and your patterns of eating and ensure that you are setting that good example. Um, I'll end it there because this has been long, but it was a long time coming and I hope you'll find it helpful. I am going to make a blog post for my website and link this and I will link if you're interested in becoming a subscriber to my emails. I am hoping to uh, finish up a recipe thing and uh, send out some other details through that. Nothing crazy, not going to spam you, um, but I hope to pull out some resources to my subscribers too. So I hope that was helpful. Again, reach out to me if you have any questions. And again, thank you. And we'll see you next time.